Welcome to Notes from the Backpack, a PTA podcast. Get the inside scoop on how to help your child become successful in and out of school. As parents, we know that your child can sometimes forget to share the notes from their backpack. That's why we've launched this podcast just for you. Welcome back to Notes from the Backpack, a PTA podcast. I am Helen Westmoreland, your co-host flying solo today, but very excited to introduce you to our new co-host soon. Today, we're talking about a topic I know is close to many people's hearts, navigating school transitions. So this is personally important to me because last month, my daughter started pre-K and we are finally in a good groove. But last summer, when we tried to transition her to daycare the first time, things did not go so well. Navigating school transitions is also a timely topic to folks as we head back to school. Starting a new school or even just a new grade can be challenging, not just for kids, but for parents too. I am so glad that we have child development expert Deborah Farmer Chris to talk with us today. Deborah is not only a child development expert, she is also the founder of Parenthood 365 and is a parenting columnist for PBS Kids. She is also the author of the All the Time picture book series. Her work has also been featured in the Washington Post, Boston Globe Magazine, and Oprah Daily. Deborah has taught almost every grade and been a school administrator, and she and her husband live in Massachusetts with their two children. Welcome, Deborah. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It is wonderful to be here with you. So we'd love to just start off by hearing a little bit more about yourself and what got you interested in this line of work. I became a teacher right out of college. I majored in elementary education, but my first job was actually teaching middle school. And you want to talk about school transitions. There's nothing like (laughs) the middle school. Every transition is happening. I ended up being an administrator for a while at a K-8 school. I have taught middle and high school, helped with college admissions, and I've been doing my book tour in preschools. So I've seen the range. And what I love about that is if there's anything I know about parenting, It's the long game. And one of the things I love about having taught every age is that you can see this growth and the things that feel like crises. It's that reminder that if you go up to 30,000 feet, every single thing we throw into kids isn't wasted and every stage does pass eventually. So if you're (laughs) in the midst of either potty training or really moody tweens, no stage lasts forever. That is The best advice. So let's dive in. Obviously, at the top of the episode, you heard I've got a four-year-old. So I'd love to start actually with the little ones. What tips do you have for children that are starting school for the very first time? And what should parents do to prepare them for that? I always go back to Fred Rogers, who really is kind of my parenting guru. And what he was so brilliant at doing was breaking down kids' worries into small bite-sized bits. And one of the things that he said was that when children know ahead of time what's going to happen, they can prepare themselves and get used to their feelings about it. So one of the things before kids start school, and this is good for four-year-olds or even 14-year-olds, is to just make sure in really concrete terms, you're talking about what to expect, the names of their teachers, how they're going to get to school, what the lunch line looks like if they're having a lunch line, who's picking them up. It's those little details. Sometimes we're worried globally about Will they make friends and what will they learn? But often the thing that's worrying our kids is really, where do I sit on the bus? What do those things look like? So the more you can pull those books from the library and 
every public library right now has their display of back-to-school books. Grab a couple of them, read it through, see what their questions are, and just start talking through what the morning routine is going to look like. Because the more they know, the more that they can prepare themselves, because there will be unexpected things at school. So if they know that, oh, my teacher's name is blank, that's one less thing they have to worry about Mm. when they're entering in. Because change is inherently stressful, even really good change, because stress is our body's defense mechanism when things are novel or challenging. So we go on alert. It's designed actually to protect us. So when kids are entering a new environment, it is going to trigger stress. That doesn't mean that it's a negative or they come home crying that they've had the worst day in the world. It's that their body may be letting down from the stress response. So it does take time to acclimate. One of the best things I've ever heard was from a kindergarten teacher that I just love, who always tells parents that it takes about six weeks for kids Mm. to fully adjust to being in school. Some may do it faster, some a little bit longer, but she's been doing this for 30 years and she knows there are going to be a lot of tantrums when they get home those first six weeks because they've been trying so hard to do everything right and hold it together and you're their safe space and they're going to come home and melt down. And our mama bears and Papa bears are going to come out and say, oh, no, what's happening at school? But school may be doing great, but they may come Mm. home and just be exhausted and hangry and ready for that afternoon nap they didn't get and ready for that downtime. So be prepared for some extra emotions initially. And if you're prepared, then you can stay calm and be that calm in their storm. Mm. Oh, that's great advice, especially the part about breaking it down into their worries. I found out With my daughter, what she was really worried about was being the first one and the only kid in class, Mm -hmm. like before everybody else got there. That was like her thing. And you're right. Like if you can ask them, what is it that you're worried about? How can we talk about it? It helps. Yeah, I was subbing years ago in a kindergarten class and I put the schedule on the board and I was all ready to go and two kids walked into class and burst into tears. And they were looking at the schedule and I realized I'd forgot to put lunch on the schedule. So they just assumed they wouldn't be eating lunch that day. And it was just this amazing reminder to me that our kids really crave predictability and routine, but it takes a while for our brains to acclimate to new routines. So that's why all those little things, even if you have a new one, starting the bedtime a week before, even practice packing the backpack the day before, Mm. so it's not the morning of, anything that can help that first day be a little bit smoother is just a gift to our kids and to us, obviously. Yes. (laughs) Well, is there anything that you would advise? I mean, obviously, we're talking a little bit about the little ones. As kids get older, is there anything you do differently as a parent, like when you're talking about middle high school in terms of preparing for that transition, or is the same advice hold? I mean, it's the same advice, but it's leveled up for them. They may not want to hear necessarily from us. So sometimes getting them in touch with a neighbor who's already been a ninth grader, right, who can talk to them or an older sibling, an older cousin or somebody who... They can ask their questions about, okay, what is it really like in the hallways in high school? Because you may not know as a parent. There's a little bit less available to you. So if you can link them up with somebody who's been through it before, or if you can connect with a parent who's been with it before, who can talk to you about what the ninth grade or the seventh grade experience is like, that's really helpful background knowledge for us. 
remember before I started high school, I sat with my sister in the hammock. She's five years older than me. And I just grilled her on all the teachers and what lunch was like and where people sat and things I didn't want to ask my mom. And she probably wouldn't be able to tell me, but I had an older sister. And you may not have that built in in your family, but this is where you rely on your village a little bit. And you want to make sure that they're able to get some of those questions out. But the other thing you want to be sure is that they know that you're paying attention too. So get to know what their class schedule is. You don't need to hover. You don't need to be that hovering parent, but it's helpful to say, oh, you have so-and-so for English. I've heard great things about him. Or showing that interest just opens the door, keeps those lines of communication open for your kids. And even with the older ones, I know it's tough, but talking about the importance of sleep early on, not mm-hmm. talking about necessarily the negatives. If you don't get enough sleep, you will. But like when you have enough sleep, you are going to do better on tests because your recall rate's faster. You're going to do better at sports because response time will be faster. And really getting them used to why sleep is a study strategy is just such a key one for our adolescents, because that is going to make such an incredible difference in their emotional life if they are getting adequate sleep in high school. So that's a conversation to start right now with them too. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I feel like one thing I hear a lot from parents and To some extent, it's true of my experience with my daughter last summer, where we had what I call our false start of school. (laughs) It was right about the five or six week mark. But one of my worries, and I think many parents' worries, is when you've had a child in a smaller situation, whether that's elementary school and suddenly you're going to a thousand person secondary school, or you've been in, you know, a small nanny share environment and you're going to a classroom for the first time. Is that a research-founded worry for parents? And what advice do you have for parents that are particularly worried about the size and network kind of concern? I mean, it's research-founded in the extent that a big change can be stressful, and some of our kids are going to adjust easier than others. And part of that is temperament. So you might have a kid who's like, oh my gosh, I can't wait for the bigness. And suddenly they're making friends and they have a different set of worries where you may have another child who may be more of an introverted temperament and it might take them longer to find their people. And giving them that reminder, I think, especially let's say middle school, that They've made friends before, they will again, that it can take time to find their people, but they will. And really encouraging some of the extracurricular activities. At that age, they tend to form friendships based on common interests. And kindergarten, they're friends because they're all in the same class. When they're in eighth grade, they might be friends because they like the same music, or they're both into soccer, or they're both into robotics. So really starting to pay attention to what interests your kid, because hobbies are so important at this age, and trying to steer them toward those smaller within the large. Like, how do you make the big just a little bit smaller? It can be great to enlist an advisor if there is an advisory program at a school in this effort, because they really don't just want to hear from you at this age. So again, enlisting that older cousin to say, hey, you know, club is really cool at this stage. But if all they're doing is going to classes in a big environment... That can be hard for some students to find their people. And that is where getting them involved in a sport or in a club, something like that, that can just narrow it down a little bit, that can really help their adjustment. Because sometimes you'll discover, I see this a lot with ninth graders, that it's a rocky first semester and then they find their groove and they do. They'll find Mm. their groove and often finding their groove is finding that one or two close friends. So if you've just moved or it's really big or they're doing a friendship transition, which also happens at this age. You can tell kids this too. Almost nobody's best friend their senior year of high school is their best friend when they're a seventh grader. 
So mm-hmm. when it's suddenly really scary that they've kind of split apart from their close friends and they're navigating and you're all activated as a parent because of social stress, that's a good reminder. Over 90% of people their senior year don't identify their best friend as the same person as in seventh grade. And that's wow. not a bad thing. That just means we're evolving and our friendships are evolving and we're finding our interests in who we are. But that means at some point there was a shakeup in friendships and that can be painful. But if we can keep that long game perspective, they've always made friends along the way, they'll make them again. That can be really helpful for kids. Oh, that's very good advice. And now for a quick break. National PTA's mission is to make every child's potential a reality, which means helping kids thrive both in and out of the classroom. Mental health and well-being are an essential part of the PTA mission, which is why we're excited to introduce our new Healthy Minds Initiative. Thank you to the Allstate Foundation, Go Guardian, and our other generous sponsors for funding our Healthy Minds work. You can learn more at pta.org healthyminds. I want to dig deeper on the timeline because I mentioned the five or six week mark and you said it takes at least six weeks, but it might take a full semester depending on your child. What do you caution parents against doing if their child is taking a little longer to transition? What are some of your, we talked about some do's. What are some of the don'ts that parents should be aware of? So I like to make the distinction between our reactions and our responses because we Um. all have emotional reactions and they're normal. And as my book says, you have feelings all the time and we're going to have them as parents. They're going to come in the car. They're going to be crying. And your instinct is going to be to pull out that phone and text the teacher immediately because the teacher said something to me in class and your fifth grader is now crying in the car. I really caution against reaching out to a teacher in the height of an emotional outburst from your child because that emotional high point is going to pass. And when they're in the midst of an emotional storm, their sense of reason is really offline and that's okay. That storm is going to pass and then you're going to learn more about what really happened. Sometimes the storm passing is enough. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. the storm passes and they're fine. They have their snack, they go and play, they figure it out themselves. You don't have to get involved. But sometimes that storm passes and they say to you, I'm really upset. That felt really unfair what the teacher did. Then it becomes more of, so what do you want to do about it? That sounds tough. Mm -hmm. How do you want to handle it? It's putting it back on the child versus us swooping in to solve their problems. Because when we swoop in, we tell them that they can't handle it on their own and they need us to solve it for them. And then if you want to give that heads up to the teacher, hey, my kid, I know she was a bit upset about blank. She may come and talk to you about this. That can be helpful. But I Mm. just know as a teacher and administrator, like when you get that 3.30 email just after Carline, it's never a good thing. Give yourself, (laughs) give your kid time to calm down. And if you're a teacher listening, you don't need to respond at 3.30. Like let them calm down because you might get the email later saying, actually, things are fine. You don't need to step in. So you want to give some space, allow the emotional reaction. A response Mm -hmm. is more of a thoughtful, what you do with the emotion later. If you're noticing them struggling, you want to pay attention, ask questions, keep the lines of communication open. You want to see if they can work it out together. You want to express your confidence that they can. Thanks for telling me what happened. How do you want Mm -hmm. to handle this? What help do you need from me? Do you just want to vent about this? Or are you looking for my help? That's a great question to ask tweens and teens. Are they looking for you to do something? Often they aren't. They just want somebody to be a sounding board and to listen. 
And then Mm -hmm. the do in terms of, say, the teachers is to reach out proactively. So if you have an elementary student, if back to school night isn't till the end of September, you can send that email earlier on, just introducing yourself, thanking them, expressing your excitement, the child will be there, anything to create those lines of communication. And if it's an older student and you are noticing that they're really struggling in math every night, they're working on it, sending the heads up to the teacher, I'm noticing is a great phrase to start with. I'm noticing she's spending an hour each night. Can you check in with her? That preserves that Mm -hmm. relationship between the teacher and the student. But it also says to the teacher, I'm paying attention. I'm your partner in this too. Yeah, I like that. Like empowering your child to be their own problem solver, which is skills we want with all of our kids. I want to pick up on something you said about what teachers maybe could do. My experience with the little one in two different childcare settings is like night and day, just in terms of what all the school did for the transition. So this one has been so much better. Is it because she's older? Is it because I'm finally like a little more confident and giving her a little more space? Is it that the school did so many things? I don't know. But What the school did made such an impression on me. Could you talk a little bit more about some of the best practices, some things that families, particularly if they might be on a PTA or in a position to influence their school community, can do to help ease transitions for kids as they enter the school or grade or maybe even newcomers in the country? So if I could wave a magic wand, here are some things, and obviously schools can't do them all and they can be overtaxed, but honestly, everything that happens early on, that is such time well spent, right? We talk about the first 30 days of school when you're a teacher. If you can get those right, if you can establish those relationships, the rest of your year is easier. And I think as school administrators, that's really true too. Are those first communications home, are they welcoming? Can you have somebody read it for a tone check? If it's simply a list of details and there's no, we're so excited to welcome your child. Encouraging teachers to send a friendly email out. Now, some teachers will do the handwritten notes in the mail. That's fantastic. I love that above and beyond. But at least that email, oh my goodness, my kids, every time they got an email from their teacher or a letter from their teacher. They're reading it six times. And they will remember, I have a cat named Sprinkles and I love gummy bears and I went hiking in the Adirondacks this summer. And the kids are memorizing all this information because they're trying to make sense of what's about to come. So friendly little emails before the school year starts, that just says there's somebody welcoming on the other side here. Depending on your school environment, I just know the school my kids are at, I'm going to be sending out an email to the other parents saying, it's a local playground. If you want to come to this playground from four to six, come and I'll have some name tags and popsicles, not school sponsored. But I've seen school sponsor those saying, we're just going to have like a kindergarten play date and there'll be name tags and it's not required, but just a chance for kids to come and see other kids. So anything before school starts that can help them feel welcomed If it's one of those schools where everyone's been traveling together and there are not that many new students each year, really thinking about buddying up if there are only three or four new students in a grade, who's that Mm. person that can be that buddy so they come into the school feeling like they have at least one familiar face and at least one friend. It almost seems like similar lessons learned and advice to like when you're onboarding at work. Have a plan, be intentional, have people that you can go to and know who they are. (laughs) 
right? For me and my daughter, one of the things our school did that made a difference in that welcoming newsletter, right, is they included the pictures mm-hmm. of everyone who worked at the building and their names, which goes such a long way. Because even if it's not just her teacher, but a teacher in the hallway we pass, like, it just makes it so much easier to know and be able to identify the other adults in that building. It's been a big help. Yeah, I think that goes a long way. Just being able to say for parents, sometimes you can find this even on the school webpage, right? If they don't have it, this is a school nurse. This is what his or her name is. Here's a picture so that the first time your child gets cut and has to go to the nurse, you know, some kids, they don't really care so much, but there's always a good chunk of kids who any new encounter triggers some anxiety or triggers a little bit of stress. So being able to say, oh, there's a nurse there. If you were ever to get hurt, there's a nurse on staff. Here's a picture of the librarian. The librarian's going to help you find books. It just creates a community for them. Like these are all the people. I think of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, right? Like these are the people in the neighborhood who are here to support you. Here are the people in your school here to support you. Your teacher's going to be amazing, but there's a librarian. There are maintenance staff who are going to help, and we want to learn their names too. They're going to be people serving you lunch if it's a school that has lunch. And you always want to say thank you when they give that to you because that's going to make them feel good because they're working hard and just really showing that this is in so many ways their world. When they're not with you, this is their universe. So you want to get them used to the people in their universe. But also, this is a good chance to teach them that you want to always say thank you. You want to be aware. Are you cleaning up after yourself? Because in the evening, somebody's going to come clean that up and you want to make sure. Teachers are great about doing that. But that's a great reinforcement just for all those kind of character strengths we want to teach our kids that this work doesn't happen on its own. The teachers are working hard. The lunch staff is working hard. Everybody's working hard to make sure you have a great experience. Oh, I like that. That's so positive. On the flip side, (laughs) one of the things I know many children, regardless of age, will say during that transition period, mine included, is I don't want to go to school. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to. I just don't want to. And no amount of digging underneath the why gives you an answer. What is your advice when parents are in that situation and their kids are just resistant to getting out the door and resistant to going to school? That's such a good one and a hard one because there's so many different reasons why a kid may be resistant to go to school. One of the things that we don't want to do is to say, great, you're just going to go stay home today. They need to hear your confidence in them that you can do this. I know you can do this. We're going to get in the car. For the younger ones, maybe baby steps. We're just going to get in the car right now. Giving that heads up to the teacher, creating that kind of game plan. Like, what's your special goodbye going to be? Like, I'm going to have a goodbye handshake, kiss you on the head and walk away. And then you need to walk away as a parent. Because so often what we know Mm -hmm. as teachers is that the minute the parent leaves, they're fine. So with young ones... Separation anxiety. If you are like, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. I'm going to miss you too. And you're showing your stress. Like, oh my gosh, now my mom is really upset. I'm upset. She's upset. We can't be leaving each other. So for the really young ones, you Mm want to just get the routine. And after a while, the routine is going to be helpful. For some, it's two weeks. For some, it's six. For some, it may be a really painful semester. But what's the thing that you're going to do that is always, because the brain loves routine, just like nighttime routines. Mm -hmm. Get that morning routine that you always do it. Get that 
special handshake, get out the door. Maybe the teacher can send you an email later letting them know that they're fine if you need that. But so often that's all they need. If you're having an older child who is really struggling with this, again, you want them to be getting out the door to school. You also want to be checking in then with the teachers to hear how it's going once they are there. Because if you can start identifying what the sticking point is, is it a recess issue? It is a math anxiety. Then you can have more conversations with your child and work to brainstorm solutions to this. What you don't want to do is feed their anxiety with your anxiety. So while I can't speak to each specific situation, that when you look at all the literature on childhood anxiety is just abundantly clear, is that when we become anxious because of their anxiety, it says to them, Oh, I'm right. I'm right. Something's really wrong here. Look at mom. She's freaking out too. So when I'm like, you're going to have a great time at camp this week. If I'm expressing my confidence in them, I'm keeping those routines, that gives them that anchor point to try Mm -hmm. new things. So that's one of the best pieces of advice I can give is we've really got to watch our own anxiety with our kids' anxiety, because so often they just feed on one another. And there's a scientific term called the co-regulation of emotions, which is basically for Mm -hmm. young kids, they're learning to regulate their emotions with us. So if we start to get anxious, theirs will rise. If we stay calm, it gives them permission to come back down and remain calm as well. That's very good advice. It is hard as a parent to keep your own anxiety in check when you have a child. You're worried. Will they get it? Will they do all those things? But I agree. Very important because kids are like sponges. They can just pick up on how you're feeling. They're Um, anthropologists. They are just watching us (laughs) and determining everything, right? How's mom reacting? And I'll give just a quick, easy example of this. My daughter's very first day was a disaster at least from a parent perspective, because I'd gotten her so excited to go to the Bears class in preschool. And I got a call 30 (gasps) minutes in saying they had accidentally placed her in the wrong class because that was only a two day a week class. So they had to move her to the other class in the transition. Her lunch got lost. And once I picked her up, she had spilled her water all over her blanket, which was her lovey. I pick her up and she's big eyes. She's holding a wet sobby blanket. She had eaten crackers and cheese for lunch. And I thought to myself, there's that piece of me that wants to go up to the director and say, do you realize how could you put her in the wrong class? But then I thought, my daughter's watching me right now. And if I do that, it just confirms that this was a disaster of a day. But if I can say, oh my goodness, you're going to be in this class now. That's so exciting. We can dry this off and I'll make sure you have an extra special lunch tomorrow. I'm sure you're going to have a great day. That suddenly just puts it in perspective. It's not that I'm minimizing her emotions. She can have the good cry, but I'm also just showing her how we roll with things sometimes. And me blowing up at a teacher or an administrator in front of her is never going to help that relationship. No, it is always a journey as a parent, for (laughs) sure. Deborah, I could talk to you all day. I can't believe our time has gone by so quickly. And we so appreciate having you here on the show. Before we go, I'd love to just give you one last opportunity if there's anything you shared or didn't share that you want to be sure that our listeners walk away with from today's conversation. I'll share one small tip for when you pick the kid up and you say, how was your day? And they say it was fine and you're not getting anything else out, which is a big sticking point. How was your day is not the right thing to ask. Often they're not ready to share the minute they get in the car. They might be ready to share before bedtime. But for younger ones, 
The three questions that I would ask each day that really helped us talk about our day were our yay, our oops, and our blah. What was your yay? What was something that happened that was good or fun or exciting? What was your oops? What was a mistake that you made? Gives permission for them to talk about that. And what was your blah? What was something that didn't feel great? And by normalizing those, it actually allowed me to hear a lot about what was going on that was both strong and positive and also that were pain points for them because we had a built-in apparatus for talking about those three things. So the Mm -hmm. yay, the oops, and the blah got me a lot farther when they were young than how was your day? Oh, I'm going to do that today. (laughs) If our listeners want to follow you, find out more about your work, tell us your website, social handles. If you go to parenthood365.com, like 365 days a year, all the links to my books and my social channels are right there on the main page. Great. Well, thank you again, Deborah, for joining us. Thank you. To our audience listening, thank you for joining us. For more resources related to today's episode, check out notesfromthebackpack.com. And we also wanted to let you know that it's National PTA's Back to School Week. Visit pta.org slash back to school for all kinds of resources to support you and your family as you start the school year. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in to Notes from the Backpack, a PTA podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media at National PTA and online at pta.org forward slash backpack notes.